Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to a new year and more Jake's Takes podcast. Pretty exciting start to the year. We've seen some new young and fresh faces win early, and again, it just goes to show you how much young talent there is in the world of golf. We started out at the Century at Kapalua with a very familiar face, still very young, Justin Thomas. That was his second win of this 2019-2020 season. The next two wins were by two exciting young players that are emerging in the world of golf. It's Sony, that was Cameron Smith from Australia, and the American Express, which we all know is the Bob Hope Desert Classic, won by Andrew Landry. And then kind of out of the blue at the Farmers down at Torrey Pines, Mark Leishman was just lurking out of the top five or six. Nobody picked him. I was watching Golf Channel Morning Drive and nobody picked Mark Leishman. But Mark Leishman, another Aussie, he is starting to become a force in the world of golf. Such a wonderful guy. Great story. Great family man. So I was excited to see him play so well. And then just this last week, the Waste Management Open at Phoenix If you can get over looking at the 16th hole and the craziness that goes on there, it was it was quite a battle. Watching Tony Finau trying to get his second win on the PGA Tour, had a two shot lead with three to play, and really didn't do anything wrong. He just uh, lost to a couple of late birdies by Webb Simpson, and they went into a playoff, and Webb Simpson birdied the first extra hole of a playoff to take the championship. So that's three straight birdies for Webb. Two to finish the tournament and one on the first extra playoff hole. So congrats to Webb. This week, everybody is at Pebble Beach, California, my favorite tournament. The defending champion is Phil Mickelson. I was going to play with my longtime buddy and longtime partner, Huey Lewis, but my game, I don't know, I'm almost 66 and those golf courses keep getting longer and longer. I played a couple of years ago and I just can't hit it far enough anymore. Maybe I'll find lightning in a bottle or I'll change my swing or do something to pick up an extra 20 or 30 yards. But boy, it's getting more and more difficult to be able to try to compete with not even the young kids, but the 50-year-olds out on the PGA Tour champions. But as a lot of you know, I'm a huge fan and a big supporter of the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am. I think it is the most important tournament on the PGA Tour schedule. Yes, we've got our major championships, the four majors, we've got our World Golf Championships. But to me, the AT&T is so important because every CEO or executive VP or anybody who's in a decision-making capacity with the corporate sponsors that support our PGA Tour schedule not only the PGA Tour, but also the Champions Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour. They are all playing this week at the AT&T. So where else can you have a chance to spend four, five, six hours inside the ropes playing with somebody who makes the final decision on whether or not they're going to sponsor a PGA Tour, a Champions Tour, or a Corn Ferry Tour event? To me, it is an it's an invaluable opportunity for you to to show what the PGA Tour is all about, to be accommodating, to be a partner, to have some fun and really show these corporate supporters of ours just what the PGA Tour is all about. So I'll be, uh, I'll be watching Pebble Beach this week. I hope the weather's good for everybody. There is nothing like Pebble Beach and the Monterey Peninsula in the bright sunshine. 
This first episode of Jake's Takes in 2020, I have a chance to catch up with my good buddy, Scott McCarron, who is the defending Charles Schwab Cup champion. Boy, he played great last year. It came down to the wire. Though, if you remember at Phoenix, Retief Goosen had a chance to win if he won that playoff at the Charles Schwab Cup over Jeff Maggard. But Maggard hold his second shot in a playoff over Retief, not only to win the tournament, but to give Scott McCarron the Charles Schwab Cup for the year. So, Great to catch up with Scott McCarron. Thanks for joining us, and I'm looking forward to a great year in 2020. Just walking in seems simple enough. Besides all the noise, it doesn't seem so tough. So why am I nervous? Why am I scared? I can't stop thinking it's a jungle in here. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. Fans are fired up and making sure they show it. They're rallying loud, not your usual crowd. It's a jungle in here. Right, I'm such a technological wizard here. You're so good. I'm so good. Yeah, how you doing, Scott? First of all, you doing well? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. Getting over my jet lag from Hawaii. Well, how was Hawaii, first of all? I know it wasn't what, exactly what you were looking for. I think you had a top ten. I did, yeah. Uh, finished ninth. Uh, you know, it was actually a pretty good start because I hadn't, I hadn't practiced much uh, over this season and uh, off season, And so, uh, you know, I wasn't playing that well going in there. wasn't hit that, that well, but I actually hit the ball pretty good all week. But was 34th in putting out of 38. Uh, finished ninth. So, you know, I actually played pretty good, uh, but just couldn't get anything to go. But I still I hit good putts, so. Yeah, four back to the winner. The uh, it was quite yeah. a playoff with Couples, Els, and Jimenez. I mean, if those if those three aren't uh, three of your biggest comp- uh, your competition oh, yeah. this year, you're you're uh, you're entering the year obviously coming off the uh, Charles Schwab Cup Championship last year, which was fantastic. You've been getting closer every year. I think in your in your fourth year on the Champions Tour, you went fourth, third, second, and then and then first. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So the guys coming out right now, it, it, the competition gets tougher. When we got Els, we got Retief, you got Darren Clark, and obviously Couples and Minneth are always tough. And Langer in '62. What what do you see ahead for uh, 2020 for Scott McCarron? Well, I think that uh, what what I want to try to improve on last year. You know, I was able to win the Schwab Cup, win the uh, Player of the Year, win the Arnold Palmer trophy for the most money in the year, um, but I didn't win the Byron Nelson for scoring. I, I had it going into the last tournament and uh, didn't play well, and Retief played really well and passed me. So, you know, I've got some work to that I'd like to do even better this year, and if I could win that Byron Nelson award, I think that would be really cool, too. But, you know, again, I'm 54. I'm still working out. I'm still practicing hard. I'm still trying to eat right. I still love the game. I still love competing, and I'm just trying to get better. Now, Having said that, the guys that are coming out are really, really good. I mean, we got Ernie Els this year. You got KJ Choi. You got Mike Weir. You got Jim Furyk. Phil Mickelson turns 50 in in June. And, you know, I don't think he's going to play much this year, but he'll eventually start coming around and and playing, you know, like we all do. I mean, we're all competitors. We all want to play. We all want to win. We want to compete. And if you can't compete on the PGA Tour, You know, you're eventually going to come over to the Champions Tour. Almost every single person has uh, in the past, and they love it once they get there. So, uh, you know, I think Phil will certainly come at some point and start playing some golf with us. Maybe not this year, but uh, hopefully the next year or two. 
Well, what's what's interesting about friends? I've got you by what ten? Yeah, almost eleven, 11 yeah. years. You can look ahead to 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 guys like me because we've been friends for a long time. You look and you see whereabouts I went to play because when I I won on tour at forty nine, I didn't want to leave. Right. But right. my game, your game, just starts to show to show up to where you can't play against the young guys. And then you eventually evolve into a champions tour player, and you really have to you have to chase it as hard as you can, as long as you can. And the thing that's impressed me about you is you really kicked it into high gear. You started working out, you started focusing on your game with your teacher E. A. Tischler, and and I it's always been impressive to me. First of all, you maintained your length off the tee, which is probably one of the hardest things to do, and. I think your your putting has even gotten better over the years as well. Yeah, it has. And and certainly, you know, before I got out in the championship, you and I talked a lot. And uh, you were telling me, you know, how much you're going to like it, you know, but get ready. Play as much as you can beforehand. Um, and I had conditional status on tour. I had a medical. And, you know, I was playing about 12 or 15 events. And so I went and played some on the um, Corn Ferry Tour now, uh, back in the web.com days, and to get prepared and to play. And, and a couple of things. You know, I was also working a little bit for Golf Channel, doing some on-course commentating. And then I got a job at Fox, and I was learning a lot because I got to see the best players in the world winning golf tournaments. Now, they didn't always play the best, um, but they didn't let little things bother them. And I think I learned a lot just from doing TV for those two or three years in the interim before I got onto the PGA Tour champions. Well, the one thing that I remember so clearly, I've, I've always been impressed with you as a person, but but also with your golf game. I remember when you were working for Golf Channel and Fox and you were getting ready to go on the Champions Tour and you thought, uh, we talked, and yeah. you said, I've got I've got a good gig with TV. What do you think? Should I play or should I stay with TV? And I remember saying to you, Scott, if you keep doing TV, I'm going to drive over and bash you over the head. <laughs> you do. Because you're going to dominate out there because you still play like a PGA Tour player, but... Uh, just for everybody, uh, everybody's listening. I always, whenever Scott wins another tournament, I always text him and say, "You know, Scott, I could put a call into the TV folks and, and get that, get that job back for you." Um, go ahead. What? Yeah, you did. I mean, Peter, you were always like my big brother out there. Um, you know, I always came to you and, and asked for advice and tried to learn from you uh, and emulate you in a lot of ways. Even from when I first got on tour. You know, kind of showing me how to do the proams, what do you need to do, writing letters to guys. Um, when you were running, you know, the CVS Charity Classic, the Fred Meyer Challenge, and the Shark Shooter at the time, you know, you were you were inviting me and, and let, helping me to get into some of these tournaments. That I got to meet all these people, and uh, you know, so you've always been kind of my mentor, my big brother, and so I'm always was bouncing ideas off you. And I remember that when I said, "Hey, I don't know, you know, I, this TV is a good thing." Um, do you think I should play or not? And you're like, really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your butt if you don't go play. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad you did. I mean, I needed, I needed that type of push. I mean, you and, and and my wife Jenny, who's just been, you know, right there with me every step of the way, just kept saying, "This is what you love to do. Um, you got to go back and do it again." And I'm, I'm so happy that I did. One of the, one of the interesting aspects of your career was when you played college golf at UCLA. And you didn't turn pro right away coming out of school. I remember back in the day, gosh, I think it was late 80s, maybe around that time, 80, 89, 90. You worked with your dad in the apparel business before before turning pro and going on the tour. And I, I think 
I don't remember whether it was because you didn't you didn't think like your that your game was ready or you weren't sure you wanted the life of a PGA Tour pro. Which, which was it? You know, there was a lot of things that went into it. Um, one, I wasn't playing great. I mean, I played at UCLA, but I was fifth, sixth, seventh guy on our team. We had a really good team at the time. Brant Job, um, Kenny Tanagawa, and they actually won NCAAs my senior year, but I didn't play in NCAAs. I mean, I was right there in that fifth and sixth guy. And a lot of the guys were turning pro, and they're playing over in South Africa and Asia, traveling and playing it. I just didn't feel my game was good enough to get on the PGA Tour and, and to play these mini tours with these guys. So um, I took a different route. Um, I was going to go to law school, and uh, unfortunately my parents uh, lost a business in Napa in a flood in 1986. My dad was kind of trying to figure out what his next step was, and I said, you know, why don't we start that business again, and uh, I'll start it. And so I went out and got the SBA loans, and we started a business in Sacramento and started – an apparel company, um, and embroidery. And then we figured after a couple of years doing that, we could lose more money if we manufactured headwear start to finish. So I went and got loans for that, and uh, we started a hat manufacturing company called Caps USA and had about 40 people in the back of a warehouse sewing panels and caps uh, start to finish. And unfortunately, back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, the economy wasn't great. And uh, when that happens, one of the things that businesses cut out is, promotional items like what we were doing. So uh, I think that the business being bad actually drove me back to golf a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I started playing some golf again. I, I was having fun playing, playing some amateur tournaments. And, and I found a long putter um, after a, a champion store event at my home course in Sacramento called Rancho Marietta, the Rayleigh Senior Gold Rush. And I saw like six or eight of these guys with this long putter. I'd never seen one before. So I went and made one that night uh, in my garage and putted with it the next morning and, you know, started putting pretty well. And that's what kind of got me back into golf and almost won the United States Mid-Amateur when I was 25. And that was it. I, I kind of came home and told my, my parents that, hey, I, I want to pursue this golf thing. And uh, so I turned pro. And, and for about a year or so, I did both. I, I sold shirts and hats and would go play golf tournaments. And on the way to golf tournaments, I'd make sales calls. And on the way back, I'd make sales calls. <laughs> what? You know, and, I was doing everything, and, and I didn't do either one of them very well. Um, and it wasn't until I won the Canadian Tour qualifying uh, up at Morningstar Country Club in Nanaimo that I said, and I, I've got a tour, I've got eight, ten events, I've got a whole tour that uh, I'm just going to give this full time and, and quit working. And that's what kind of really got me over the hump and got me into playing golf full time. The one thing that you mentioned just a little bit earlier was the Fred Mark Challenge. You won that back in uh, 2002 with your partner, Brian Henniger, uh, the yep. Fred Mark Challenge was an event that, that actually was involved in starting, as, as we, we did also the CBS Charity Classic. And Greg Norman had played in these tournaments so so often that he started his tournament, the Shark, the Shark Shootout. Uh, those events were very unique because they were Monday, Tuesday. They were between PGA Tour events. Uh, but we really don't see them much anymore. Why, why don't you think events like that? work is it because there's so much money available on tour now or uh guys guys time is so 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 much shorter well i that could be peter i mean i i love playing those events those events when i look back in my tour days um playing in the fred meyer challenge playing the cvs and and playing the shark shootout were some of the most fun times i had playing golf i mean there was some camaraderie there and i got to i got to hang with peter jacobson and arnold palmer and greg norman and these guys craig stadler these guys were my kind of heroes growing up and i got to play with them and 
hang out with them and become friends with these guys because of those events. And, you know, for us and for me, a young uh, guy on tour, I was learning from you guys. And I got to hang out and learn, you know, how to do pro-ams and how to do all these things. Um, I wish they did that more. I, I would say maybe the younger players are making a lot of money. The agents are pretty much involved and they're wanting big fees to come play in these Monday and Tuesday events. But again, if they would just go to some of these or we would have some more, they realize how important they are for these communities and how much they, money we can raise in, in those two days and how much money you, you got used to raise in those events. I mean, these, there was kind of like the barnstorming days back in the day when Sneed and Hogan and all these guys would go play some of these um, exhibitions. And I wish the young kids would, would realize that because it's so good for the game. It is good for the game. And that's the one thing that I do worry about is I, I'm now 60, probably 66 this year. As I get older and as, as we all get older, I worry that there's a di- bit of a disconnect between the tour players today and the average fan. When you think about going to do, a, whether it's a four-man exhibition or a 24-player exhibition, you really get to connect with the, with the fans in towns that we don't see on the PGA Tour. I'm glad to see the Champions Tour is going back to St. Louis this year, but when you right. you think of great cities like Philadelphia and and Sacramento, where the area that you grew up down in Fresno and and uh, gosh, all all the cities that love the game of golf. It would be cool if they did a barnstorming tour to where you could get some of the young stars today to go do it just for the good of the game. Well, absolutely. And it just it, so many people get to, will get to watch these young kids and get introduced to the game because of it. Um, I remember you and I did a small event. You and I, Da Wybring and Chris O'Connell, I believe. Um, we did an event years ago, just playing 18 holes at uh, Chris O'Connell's home course where he grew up, I think in Quincy, Illinois. Correct. And, yeah, and we had, you know, four or 500 people following us for 18 holes. And uh, I thought that was one of the coolest things ever. That was just so old school to me. Um, but I wish that uh, there were more opportunities to do stuff like that. It's a jungle in here, and we all know it. The fans are fired up and making sure they show it. People ask me all the time now, when I play in an outing or a tournament or just with friends, why do I play a yellow ball? Well, it's pretty simple, really, because I can see it. I can see the ball in flight all the way from the tee down to the landing spot, whether that's the fairway or, yeah, a fairway bunker. At my age now, I lose the white ball in flight. When Strixon first started making the Z-Star yellow ball, and they put it in my locker. It was to hand out to my amateur partners in the Pro-Am. And I was thinking, I'm not going to play this ball. I'm going to play the white ball. But when they put it in play, I could see their ball. And I immediately thought, what in the heck? I could see that ball. And believe me, when you lose sight of the ball in flight and you don't know where it lands, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away. So what I did right then, I switched to the yellow ball. I started playing it in the Pro-Ams. And eventually, I started playing it in the tournament. Whenever you switch to a new ball, you're always worried about how that ball is going to fit in with what you do, how it affects your game. And I play it because it does everything I need it to do. I always think about proper spin, the proper trajectory, and the maneuverability of the shot. With the Strixon Z-Star yellow ball, I can curve it left or right, hit it high or low, 
and it has that perfect amount of spin that I need for my game. It's been about 10 years now since I put that ball in play, and I've never looked back. It's yellow for me for the rest of my career. I think one of the things that that helped you, and I know it helped me, was uh, not many people remember that you and I partnered together at the AT&T. When I say partnered, I use that term loosely, but I I played with Jack Lemmon for 20 years, Mm -hmm. and we played with you and your partner, Huey Lewis, the one year that it looked like Jack and I were going to make the team cut, and we were rained out. Do you remember remember which green we were on when we had to to walk in? We were on like two at Pebble, I think. Two at uh, Pebble. Two at Pebble. Right. And you guys, we were like right there neck and neck. You and I, I think we were about tied, but we were all going to make the cut. We're all pretty excited. And I remember the weather being so bad. We went to some tent over there off one. And (laughs) I remember, remember the rules officials coming in after about an hour or two of us sitting around and telling us that we weren't going to play anymore. And I remember Clint Eastwood kind of looking up going, what do you mean we're not going to play anymore? (laughs) I thought he was going to. He kill said, me. "Yeah, <laughs> if there's puddles on the green, just hip over it." That's yeah, exactly. Those are real golfers. Uh, and I don't remember. Do you remember what we did after? We went to a little place called Fanshell Greens. Yes. You and I and Huey and uh, all his band, and we went and played that little three-hole Fanshell Greens, and it was raining and it was blowing fifty, and and Huey had his harmonica and was singing songs, and we had so much fun, uh, just oh. like kids in a candy store back in the day. Hey, I just got back from the PGA merchandise show, and your face was all over the Tour Edge booth. I got to tell you, you and and Duffy Waldorf and Tim Petrovic and Lehman, um, it was really great. It was great to see your face all over, <laughs> all over the place. And but that that just basically uh, is something that we live with, which is uh, endorsements, and and that's really one of the things that it would be called guaranteed income, but. Uh, it, it's fun to be able to get connected with a group like Tour Edge in your case. For me, it'd be Cleveland Strixon, uh, and then it gives you the freedom to basically free up and play great golf. Well, it does, and, and Tour Edge and Exotics, they've been a phenomenal uh, sponsor for me. Um, they make great hybrids, great three woods, and they've got a really good driver out right now that they just launched. Um, they're making some good irons. They've got some putters they're doing. That wingman is coming out. They're going to make me a long putter in that wingman. So I'm really excited. It's a company that uh, has been around a long time. They've always been known for kind of for their three woods and hybrids, and uh, they're really coming on str- strong. So I'm very happy and proud to be uh, and honored to be part of that company. One last question about policy. What do you think the new slow play rules are going to do to the speed of golf, the speed of tour on <laughs> speed of play on tour which as you know has been a problem forever you know we've been talking about slow play forever peter every meeting um it really doesn't get better the only way to make it faster is get the slowest guys to play faster i mean we all know that i mean the european tour has kind of put it something like this into place the last couple of years they find two guys in the last two years so they haven't really and, and times haven't really gotten faster so you know i don't know if this slow play uh, policy is going to work you know, but we, you gotta try something and you keep trying. We've been trying stuff for years and hoping something will stick. Um, but until you get the slowest guys out there playing faster right from the start, 
Uh, nothing's going to change. Um, but, you know, again, the tour has never not finished on Sunday because of slow play. I mean, let's just face it. We haven't. So how big of a deal is it really on the PGA Tour that they sometimes take a little bit of extra time? I mean, they've never never not finished because of slow play, Peter. Now, now Scott, I'm just going to say one last time, if – if you're struggling at all this year, if you're, I know you've already got a top 10 under your belt, but if you're struggling, I've got some contacts in the TV world. You call me <laughs> and I can get you that job back if needed. Okay, well, well remember I, that. I, I will remember that because, Peter, you never know. <laughs> this game is, is ever fleeting and it can humble you very quickly. So you always got to keep your options open. My wife always well, tells me, you know, that, hey, Starbucks has an opening. I mean, I, I could be a barista. You never know. Well, as I've got I've got complete confidence in you because of the way that you approach the game. You've always been so positive and outgoing, and you're in great physical shape, and you still have your length off the tee. You're one of the longest players on tour, so I I don't expect to get that call from you. Maybe maybe in ten to eleven years, you'll want that job with television back, and I would be be more than honored to call on your behalf. I want you to know that. Oh, thanks, Peter. You never know. You always you got to keep your options open, man. Amen. Well, listen. Give give uh, give my daughter uh, a big. Kiss. I will. And I will. Um, thanks for your time. I, I appreciate it. your time, Scotty. And you're going to Morocco, right? I am. We're heading uh, Sunday to Morocco. Never been there. Really looking forward to it. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the golf course, and should be a lot of fun. Now, remember, uh, I've been a couple times. And I've learned one thing from my daughter, Kristen, that when you're traveling overseas and you, you always try to avoid getting sick, you want to make sure you wouldn't drink bottled water and all that stuff. But, and this is a serious thing for you and Jenny, okay. at the end of the evening, if you're, if you're a little unsure about maybe ingesting something, just have a, uh, a shot of tequila. This is no joke. <laughs> this is no joke. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Tequila. Yeah, a okay. shot of tequila. When I was okay, in Mexico good. a couple of years ago doing TV, uh, oh, Bones and all these guys got sick. And I said to them, the next year I said, guys, obviously you don't know, take, drink tequila. So everybody was joking about it during the week. It was at a World Golf Championship. Nobody got sick because everybody was doing it. So like te- tequila is the best because it's, it's, it, it'll kill, well, tequila. I mean, it's pretty, it, it's like moonshine. But, uh, <laughs> vodka does work, but, but, uh, straight. Just, just take a straight. shot right after Take dinner. a shot. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, that's going to be my new routine. <laughs> I love Always. It. Also, by the way, I've been taking CBD oil. I know you, re, uh, you represent a company. Yes, Functional Remedies. I, oh, it is Functional Remedies. That's yep. who I. Uh, that's what I yep. bought. Yeah, it's great. I stuff. bought it. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, so I just want to let you know that. Yeah, you led good. me down the right path. Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?